0: can't go long. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 17th, 2013. I will start off by advising any newcomers to come in and look at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website because there's lots of free audios for download. And it will keep you busy for a long, long time if you can go through even a, a, a few of them, in fact. Because I go through the system that we're born into and the big agenda. Because it is a big agenda, an ongoing agenda. Here for a long, long time, it was on the go before your grandparents were even born. And every generation goes through it. And this big agenda is run by a few people, really. The richest folk on the planet and their descendants, too. They have lots of think tanks working on every societal problem uh, that has to be mended or altered, changed to work for the new global society and that that includes behavior modification and the cultures and everything else too and they um, They're run by the richest folk in the world, as I say. The top bankers, or international bankers of the day, set up their big foundations uh, and class uh, themselves as tax-free foundations under philanthropy. And you'll find the Rolling Stream of International Affairs is one of the biggest on the planet. Uh, It set up the idea for taking over the world, making it global. And also the free trade agendas they would do. They would merge countries together into blocks, trading blocks. And then they, with their partner in the U.S., their branch there is called the Council on Foreign Relations, which also owns all the media, basically, at least the guys that who run it are all members of the CFR. And they shape our minds for us, we, they give us our realities, what to think about, uh, what to argue about, and so on. So everything in the world today, that as we know it, is controlled by small groups all working together with huge foundations, lots of money, lots of think tanks. And, and they literally go through the whole world agenda, including the takedowns and, and the bringing into, into austerity for post-consumerist societies. So help yourself to the website, as I say. Remember, too, you can get transcripts as well as the audios on all the sites in English. And if you go into Alan Watts Sentience, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages. Now, uh, as I said before, many, many times, you're the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on guests as advertisers. I don't take money from advertisers. And um, the only cash that comes in here is from the listeners who buy the books and discs cutting through the medics.com. And through the books and so on, I, I do go through the histories of the societies down through the ages The art of chronology, which is the art of controlling masses of people through various techniques And very, very ancient art Today it's incredibly specialized And there are actually archives of material for the ones who were brought in to help manage the world World managers, you might call them And some professors actually admit to this too. So um, if you want to buy the books and discs, as I say, you can go to cuttingthreathametrics.com and find out how to do it. From the U.S. to Canada, don't forget, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can send cash or use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are always awfully welcome as we go through devaluations of the currencies. And things are getting very expensive, as you all know out there too. And that's the plan Because you see this quantitative easing Which is reinflation Or devaluation of the currency Has has been already mentioned many times By guys like the Federal Reserve They're going to keep this going for another 10 years At least So every year everything's going to go up And maybe a quarter to a half The cost of the previous year And this is the agenda for the next 10 years That's how you bring austerity in It won't happen by itself The The big boys make it happen and austerity was all planned long before the bank crashes, because that is the plan for the future. All the extra money you 'd have for for spending on things that you wanted you have to spend on essential things only That's that 's a new future and all be pushed along this well being gross well being and you 'd be taught to be quite happy as you tighten your belts back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back. I've talked before about the, the world smart grid and of course the IBM uh, by the big boys themselves. They've been given the rights to run the smart grid for the whole planet basically. Again, it's all way above governmental level. I'm talking about the real government, the real boys that are the movers and shakers that, that create policies and tell the politicians what to do. And doors simply open for them. Any laws that have to be altered or are simply altered on the spot. And, and that's how it quickly things... Same with Monsanto too, as you know. Uh, doors just simply open. All the old laws simply, simply fade away when they come in and break all the rules in the book. So it doesn't really matter for the big boys because a higher authority is obviously given them permission to to go up the very top, to get to the top. But they I say, getting back to the, the IBM and the smart meters and so on. We know that the whole idea is to monitor all our use, and eventually you will be cut off. And they said that in their articles in Canada when they first talked about it years ago, that eventually they could cut different people off if they see you using too much electricity for any particular thing. Now you could be a single individual living in a home, and and it's not because you're using more than say a big family. They're going to actually limit it according to what you normally use as an individual. You see. And they say, well, you've used too much for a single individual, and they'll say you could cut you back and cut you off for a while. And eventually fines and fees will come into it too for going over certain limits. So it's a control factor, really. Apart from the fact it's a spy in your home as well. And it's not healthy because of the microwave radiation it gives out. But in Britain, they're a bit behind with it, and they'll have to go along with it regardless, regardless of this this article even, because as MPs in Britain, complaining about it. It says, the plan to introduce smart meters into every home in Britain is a waste of money, the MPs have been told. The units are designed to show people exactly how much energy they're using at any time. Now, that's the lie that they pushed initially in Canada, too, that you would be able to monitor your energy use. But the things are outside. And if you had three things on the go at one time, you have no idea how much any one thing is actually burning up. And the, and the ads they showed you long before that they installed them, they showed you little meters that would be inside the house or in the walls and so on. that would tell you how much you're using. That was all a con to get it through. Anyway, it says here, energy analyst Alex Henney said people could be given live information on their energy use via web links or smartphone apps much more cheaply. He told the Energy Select Committee that smart meter scheme would cost 600 million pounds. That's not a bad deal, eh, for the guys who get the contract. A smart meter is a device which provides real-time information about how much gas and electricity is being used and how much it costs to the customer and to the energy provider. The idea is that this should encourage people to cut energy use or switch their energy consumption to off-peak hours. Now, that's another con too. They start, when they first bring them in, they'll tell you it's cheaper to use any heavy appliances at night. You see? And that works for about a year or two and then they change that again too. So it doesn't matter which time. So everything's a con-con to get you into it. Anyway, there's so a question it's about value for money. The original plan to require energy firms to offer smart meters with in-home displays to every home in Britain was announced by Ed Miliband when he was climate change secretary. Can you believe somebody's a climate change secretary? Huh? It's like having a high priest, uh, you know, it's in charge of the god of weather, you know. It's, it's ridiculous. And it says here, under the plan, the energy suppliers will be able to install and maintain the meters and they'll pass on the cost to their customers. So you, it's, everything goes up, of course. The hope is that in the long run, the energy companies and customers will save more than the display's cost. Really, what a joke. But as I say, and this, I, this a politician actually says that about half of these, these meters would never be used. He says, he says you ought to ask yourself first, firstly, what proportion of the public are going to use it to in-house display? And secondly, why can't they use their smartphones or their computers? The government will be running a computer system to coordinate the information received by smart meters. Uh, of course the government will be, because as I said, there's a spiral into your home with broadband and the whole bit too. This is in the written evidence people to given to the committee. Mr. Henney, a former London Electricity Board member and author of various books and studies on energy issues, including smart metering, said the technology behind the scheme was another government IT disaster in the making. And then they go in about delays and cost overruns. But it's an essential thing for this, for the smart grid. And with the, with the smart grid, too, they can actually cut off uh, non-emergency households, for instance, keep hospitals going uh, and things like that, but switch everybody else off and divert all that electricity to some other region across the planet, for that matter, because that's their big hope. They're actually laying big underground cables right now across the planet to link them all up. And, of course, you'll be paying for the third world for a long time. That's all part of it, too. I haven't mentioned it in this article, but I've seen it in other ones as well. That's the world you live in. It's all chronology, you know. And many, many times before I've said, you really watch all these studies that they do. When the big boys need something done and a change in society, they'll bring out a study to prove why you should do something or change your ways or whatever. And they have a department in Britain of mental health, actually, and they call actually it actually prompts you for behavioural change. But they do the old Bernays thing of uh, getting so-called experts to write things uh, and do fake studies, which are just that, they're fake studies. Now, since they're putting up the retirement age across Europe, because they don't want to pay the pension money out, you see, uh, they have to bring studies out to prove it's, it's a good thing. And here's one right here, right off the bat. It says, retirement harmful, It's harmful to your health, the study says. It says, retirement has a detrimental impact on mental and physical health, a new study has found. Wow, science is amazing. The study published by the Institute of Economic Affairs, who else? A think tank found that retirement results in a drastic decline in health in the medium and long term. So the IEA said the study suggests people should work for longer for health as well as economic reasons. The government already plans to raise the state pension age. See how they do? They just come out with their, you know, studies that will contradict every other study. And uh, so here's a new study. This is the in-house study now. This is the one that already go by. It's good for you. And they'll teach you that through a thousand different ways, ads on television too. Encourage you, encourage you to, to stay working and how great it is and smiley faces and the ads and stuff. Nobody's got sore backs or anything or arthritis, you know. No. Also too, an article to do with, um, inequality, debt and growth. It's quite good actually. This is a, it's an article where, where they're trying to blame the lower classes for causing the last bank crashes. And Inequality, debt and growth shows that low- to middle-income households were reliant on borrowing to fund much of their spending for more than a decade before the financial crisis. The report reveals the full extent of the increase in borrowing and deterioration in household saving rates in the run-up to the 2008-09 crisis with the poorest 10% outspending their income by 40% by 2007. Given only a minority of the poorest are homeowners paying off their mortgage, it's highly unlikely this was counterbalanced by an increase in housing wealth. The report was authored by the National Institute for Economics and Social Research, and it found that over the past 10 years, 1997 to 2007, spending grew faster than incomes across all households, but for the poorest groups this was much more pronounced. So the bottom line is, when you go through all this article, it was all the the, the people's fault. It wasn't the banks, it was the people's fault. So there you go. go I'll go down in history and official reports. Also, we're in the age now, remember, we're in the last stage of the last kind of old normal human beings. We're normal, that is. Although we've been bioengineered by various means and chemicals and and the stuff that we eat now is, is engineering us, plus... Uh, the massive vaccinations too Have already changed even the physique of, of males and females in a lot of places But anyway, they want to go the whole way and, and within 50 years And if you look at all the reports Up to the year 2050 from the top think tanks that They really see this as, 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 sort of, as A hallowed time for them When some new creation seems to take over From the old man Which is, which is all of us, you see So it says here that new spectra uh spectra of cloned babies scientists create embryos in a lab that could grow to full term. So they're already on that, you see. And it says um it could have major implications for the stem cell treatments. Well, something to do with treatments. I don't do this stuff for treatments, folks. It says um first time cloned embryos have developed enough to provide stem cells and raises the possibility of babies being cloned in the baby in the lab by rogue scientists. Well, don't be rogue, they'll be authorized. So the prospect of cloned babies has moved a step closer after scientists extracted stem cells from human embryos created in a laboratory. The breakthrough could lead to customized cells to help treat and even cure. They always put this in immediately to, to throw you off seeing what the heck are they doing. You know. uh, so it's not going to cure a range of diseases. They want you to die, for God's sake. It says, however, it raises the specter of babies being cloned in labs and allow couples to lose who is a child to pay for the creation of a duplicate. And uh, so d- designer children move a step a step closer, basically. And um, that shows you how it's done and all the rest of it. While human embryos have been cloned before, none have had healthy stem cells extracted from them. The latest advance means scientists are now even closer to being able to clone children. The U.S. team behind the work stressed that they want to find treatments for incurable diseases. Yeah. But critics fear there's little to stop a rogue scientist from copying their work to try to clone humans. So, it's, it's actually probably been done, folks. It probably's been done. There's, there's lots of islands. It's like the, the old James Bond series. The worst guys, the, the most important enemies the world had were extremely rich people who had islands and lots of scientists working on them outside anyone's international boundaries. And they actually do have islands that across the world, more like Dr. Moreau. They actually do have them for sure. And, It reminds me too of all these extraordinary renditions where they kidnap, you know, governments kidnap people and drag them off to some country like Thailand, even as we found out recently, where they'd got a, a little base made to torture folk abroad. I mean, it's a very same kind of thing. I mean, unless it got leaked out by some whistleblower, we'd never know what's going on where. We have no idea. Now. Another article too is, says this present age. It says we've got more foreclosures and suicides than during the Great Depression. It says foreclosure rates in the late 2000s are often compared with those of the Great Depression, which took place through the first half of the 1930s. However, there was there were no public uh, private agencies keeping track of foreclosed rates at the time, and it says and so they didn't keep an official statistic on of the number of horrors of homes in the foreclosure or repossessed by banks and lenders. But the a chronicle that actually gives you a sort of comparison. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix talking about the Great Depression and the, the homes that were lost versus the present time we're in. And this comparison's worked out. Also on suicide rates as well. And how they go up massively during times of what we now call recessions, I don't want to call them depressions, but it's the same thing. And it also compares uh, the, the amount during the depression to the present day as well. Also touches on the military because it says uh, it says uh, the number of deaths by suicide has surpassed car crashes in the US. And many connect the increase in suicides to the downturn in the economy. It says around thirty five thousand Americans kill themselves each year and more than American soldiers die by suicide than in actual combat. And they've got links for that too. It says the number of veterans committing suicide is astronomical and underreported. So you're two thousand and fifty nine times more likely to kill yourself than die at the hands of a terrorist. I'll put this up tonight from Zero Hedge. Also, tonight I put up a couple of articles on free trade, because for those who've been following the free trade deals, the, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership for the Americas, and, uh, and also the same thing for Trans-Atlantic one for, for, for Europe, they're all both going on at the same time. There's a lot of articles coming out about it, because you see, this, it's to bind us all together. It's to bind us all together the same way as it did with the EU, until they eventually had one parliament running the whole of Europe. And it says, imagine a free trade zone stretching across Europe and America, the largest hub of open enterprise in the world, able to compete with emerging economic giants like China on a level playing field, really. What nonsense that is in the wages we get. Well, it says, the idea may just have stepped out of the realm of fantasy. The U.S. President Barack Obama and his State of the Union address has tentatively agreed to a round of free trade discussions between the European Union and the U.S., well it's unlikely that Obama's move will actually pave the way for a free trade agreement. Well, actually, it is. has already. During his time in office, at least the groundwork will have been laid for a deal at a later date. After all, if you have to start somewhere, it says, In reality, the EU officials have been working on a proposal since November 2011, and unofficial discussions stretch back even further. They go back for about 20 years. And it says, uh, talking to Congress yesterday and couching the FTA proposal in his own American citizen-friendly terms. So they don't want Americans to know it's a free trade agreement, which is the same. It's like the, it's like the European Common Market Agreement, free trade. Obama promised to launch talks on a comprehensive transatlantic trade and investment partnership. So they call it an investment partnership for the Americans to believe. It, that's, it sounds better that way. It doesn't sound like you're losing your sovereignty with the EU because trade that is free and fair across the Atlantic supports millions of good-paying American jobs, it says. I'll put this link up too. And... um it's from the Public Service Europe. Uh, this is, the, this is the, the, the site that deals with diplomats and bureaucrats for Europe. It helps train them. Some of them to actually take part in it. And also another one uh, from the same organisation. They go further into it It says that the potential free trade agreement between the European Union and the U.S. could help spread Western normals across the world in the Atlantic century, as well as creating an open market for 800 million citizens, as senior American diplomats claimed. In an interview with PublicServiceEurope.com, the Acting Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in London, Mark T- Tokola, uh, spoke of the excitement spreading through diplomatic circles on both sides of the Atlantic. By providing extra leverage when dealing with third states outside the FTA, the pact could enable Europe and America to, to demand democratic and human rights improvements at the negotiating table. This would mirror the EU approach used in accession talks and through the neighbourhood policy, whereby those non-European nations wanting to join or trade with the Union are forced to adopt certain normative standards. So, It's all going ahead. So it isn't just free trade to do with economics. It's all to do with politics, and what they eventually do when you start merging with them is change all your laws, by the way. You harmonize all your laws, as they call it. That's what happened to Europe. So it's ongoing. Remember, this goes back again to the early 1900s with the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private organization that still runs most of the politics across the world today private organisation. They were the guys who said, well, free trade across the whole planet uh, under three main trading regions and then eventually we'll merge them all together under a single parliament. So we're well on our way. Last week I mentioned something from the Rolling Stone magazine. And it was said that everything is rigged, and of course it's to do with the fuel rigging, with the the, the labour rigging in Britain, and something similar in the US. So everything's rigged to do with money. And now they've got another one, part two. Everything is rigged. Continued, European Commission raids oil companies in the price fixing probe, and they go through that. I've read other articles before last week on that, but it, it's still ongoing because it's just astonishing just to see the amount of, of uh, cartels. When they form their own little clubs, uh, all these different owners or CEOs of big uh, oil companies, they've got cartels and they rig the prices so they don't undercut each other. There is no free competition and they can maximize as much profit as they want by jacking all the prices up and all having the same prices at the same time. That's what it is, folks. After we held to ransom by these guys who have this kind of power. And also, another article, too, from the Public Service Europe, says, when College of Europe graduates, it says, traditionally the most loyal of all Europhiles, you see they have their own college now, and they've had it actually since nineteen end of World War Two. never told the general public that they were churning out these, these uh, bureaucrats for the European merger back then. They just didn't tell the citizens of any country. It was all done in secret. But anyway... And they call these guys Europhiles. They're the ones who've gone through their courses at their college, their own personal college to turn up bureaucrats and diplomats. So when they start to turn against Brussels, you know the project is coming off the rails. Some folk aren't happy with it. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting to the Matrix and talking about the Eurocrats, the ones who've been through the special college they have for bureaucrats of uh, this European monstrosity and this communistic system of Brussels. And one of them has... Uh, Kicked back, he's not too happy with what happened, and he's actually speaking out from as an insider. And his name is Riccardielli, and uh, he's mentioned that it's not going well. He talks about the fact there's a, an elite bunch at the top, and that the, they're out of touch with the rest of the people down below, all the voters and so on. They don't they ignore the, vo- the voters, in fact, and, uh, and of course they're looking for a complete federation of it all, uh, in a federal type government they're creating right now. So they're going from the, the present government to, they want to go to the next step the federation, the federal government. And, and I think they're going to start disbanding local governments altogether as national governments. So I'll, I'll put this piece up tonight as well. And also, uh, this is an article two from the Financial Post. It says, limits to growth ideologies of self-fulfilling prophecy. The European Union's utopian scheme of transforming itself into a green energy powerhouse is faltering as its fantasy plans is colliding with reality. As the EU's economic and financial crisis deepens and unemployment continues to rise, what used to be an almost all-embracing green consensus is beginning to disintegrate. The spectre of green stagnation, loss of competitiveness and economic decline has replaced 20 years of collective wishful thinking. The Green Folly was founded on two apocalyptic fears. Firstly, that global warming was an urgent threat that needed to be prevented at all costs. And secondly, that the world was running out of fossil fuels, which meant oil and gas would uh, become ever more expensive. Both conjectures, however, turned out to be bogus. And now it, now it says that the same policy is still going ahead and is detrimental to any f- form of growth at all. It's detrimental to the whole system. And I also want to touch on this article tonight. It's been here for a little while. Actually, I haven't talked about it, but with all the talk of instant asylum and so on, citizenship for all the illegals that come into the US, it's astonishing that this stands out like a sore thumb. And it says a lot in itself because of what it, who it concerns. It says the court upholds Obama administration denial of asylum for a German, a German homeschool family. And it says, today the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the Obama administration's denial of asylum, granted to you and Hanelor Romik and their six children from Germany. They fled Germany in 2008 when they were subjected to criminal prosecution for homeschooling. That's what you get in Germany now, and I think in Italy now as well. In Bissingen, it says, the district of Ludwigsburg, Baden-Württemberg, they faced exorbitant fines forcible removal of their children, and possible imprisonment, all for homeschooling their children. The Supreme Court of Germany declared that, that the purpose of their German ban on homeschooling was to counteract the development of religious and philosophically motivated parallel societies. They have no There is to be one standardized system, and that's it, folks, with everybody PC with the same indoctrination. It says the family currently residing in Tennessee was granted asylum in 2010 by immigration judge Lawrence O. Berman, but that grant was overturned by the Board of Immigration Appeals in 2012. A three-judge panel of the Sixth Circuit heard the Romik's appeal on April 23rd in Cincinnati and issued today's unanimous decision against the family. You, Romick, a piano teacher, said that if the courts turned down their asylum completely, it would mean they would send us back to Germany, where we would face the same persecution as we left. Believe the Sixth Circuit is wrong and we will appeal their decision, said Michael Farris, HSLDA founder and chairman. America has room for this family and we will do everything we can to help them. The court said that the Romics had not made a sufficient case and that the United States has not opened its doors to every victim of unfair treatment. Although the court acknowledged that the U.S. Constitution recognises the right of parents to to direct the education and upbringing of their children, it refused to concede that the harsh treatment of religiously and philosophically motivated homeschoolers in Germany amounts to persecution within our laws on asylum. It's just a pity that um, they didn't belong to any other group. So it's amazing that see, America supposedly was founded on a lot of Christian folk coming in. There was just lots of them just flooded into the U.S. The pioneering uh, days and so on and of course it's been heavily attacked by a new dominant minority ever since that runs the us and they don't like christianity but uh and they don't like the family unit either of certain peoples and this is all part of it too for there's no doubt about it now they let everybody in says they're persecuted if they're homosexual lesbian or whatever else in their own countries that's okay Uh, but if you're just a, a family that's getting persecuted by the government because of religion or whatever. Well, I've made an exception here. No, no, we won't let you in. Won't let you in. So you see, it depends on what minority you belong to on the victim scale. Because uh, it's are definitely written out, believe you me. There's a victim scale of priorities. And ones they don't want. No doubt about it. Now, we know that Syria had its internet cut off to the world. And of course, that's warfare technique by the US, Britain, and all the rest of the countries that are involved in it. But uh, some of their hackers managed to get uh, breach the Financial Times accounts and put up uh, a video of uh, executions by rebels, the ones who are all being financed by the West and armed by the West to get rid of the the government that they have there. It says pro-Assad hackers published video content of alleged executions by rebels on newspapers, social media accounts and blogs. They must have got help from the Russians to do it, I'm sure. But since the Syrian Electronic Army has claimed credit for hacking various news outlets, including agents, uh, France Press. The, pre- the website and Twitter feed of the Financial Times have been hacked, partly by the Syrian Economic Army, a group of online activists who say they support Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. The group Friday posted links to the newspaper Twitter feed to a YouTube video uploaded Wednesday, which shows uh, members of the al-Qaeda-linked Jabhat al-Nusra Syrian rebel group executing blindfolded and kneeling members of the Syrian army. Now remember too, you understand if, if uh, most of the public in Syria and the troops too didn't like the guy that was, that was at the head or the system they wouldn't be supporting him and these guys are fighting to the death because they know that the ones that are all going to come in are going to slaughter them all. Men, women, children, the whole lot We mean no difference. They know that. And the West knows that too. The West doesn't care. They want to, Syria out of the way because it was on the list of the new American century group, uh, to be taken out and standardized just like they flattened Libya and, and all the other countries before it. So it's, uh, that's when folk really fights to the last because they know these people are going to slaughter them all. You won't see mass graves. You wait and see to the, they're finished with Syria. And the cover ups of the West not to report it. Also tonight too, I'll put up this article. is quite good. It says, um, "From my poolside in, in Puglia, I was going to do you an amusing post about the archers. This is this is the author, of course, and it says, uh, "But but sadly, we shall never know about what." It says that's because I want instead to draw your attention to two important stories from the U.S., which I suspect will have far greater impact on the world than even Nigel Perjeter's murder. His book, a series on television. This is I refer to Governor Scott Walker's victory in Wisconsin and an equally important but perhaps less well publicized victory won in the Alabama House and Senate over the United Nations malign and insidious Agenda 21, also called the the Millennium Project, and other names too, like Sustainable Development. Walker's victory has been thoroughly and expertly analyzed by my estimable colleague Tim Stanley. Uh, for the benefit of those readers who find U.S. politics remote, weird or dull, uh, uh, and or, uh, just, I think Walker was one of the brothers responsible for the sun, ain't going to shine anymore before getting a bit weird on his solo albums, I'd just like to reiterate that this is a story of significance to us all. The Wisconsin result mattered because it was a sh- showdown between the entrenched statism of the left and the free market, small government values of the Tea Party. Walker's victory was by no means a foregone conclusion that there was a, it was so nerve wracking about it and for those of us who believe that the economics of the West are on the brink of a precipice right now and that the reason that they're on the brink of the precipice is a direct result of governments spending more than they can afford on wel- welfare, public services, on everything. And it says, so on a state-sized scale, Governor Walker was doing what all leaders throughout the Western world should be doing by so, but so rarely, it says, uh, it says um, saying enough is enough, we cannot go on living this lie any longer. The repercussions will, I hope and pray, be enormous, for too long we've been told by many siren voices on the left right, detoxifying the brand name of anyone, that socialism is now so well entrenched that the very best any conservative administration can hope to achieve is to continue the upward trend of government spending only at a marginally smaller and less catastrophic rate than a left liberal administration would adopt. Wisconsin proves that ain't necessarily so. And as Tim Stanley notes, will afford tremendous shot in the arm for the the, the campaigns against Obama and so on. Equally important is the victory uh, won in Alabama. One of the reasons I have become so embroiled in the climate wars the last few years is because I recognised early on that the once worthy cause of environmentalism has been uh, suborned by the international left as a proxy issue designed to mask its real agenda: the destruction of the capitalist system, global wealth redistribution, the removal of property rights. A gradual takeover by democratically unaccountable left-leaning bureaucrats and technocrats belonging to organizations like the United Nations and the European Union. Agenda 21, born at the Marxist Maurice Strong's Rio Earth Summit, is a key part of the campaign. So for more details, I refer you to a particularly excellent book called In the U.S. Watermelons. And the link is on here. I'll put all these links up tonight at the end of the, the talk. So the book is called Watermelons in UK. Watermelons and in Australia, killing the earth to save it. So Australia's little one is different. It says uh, killing the earth to save it. Same book. Whose author's name eludes me, but it's, it's a good read, he says. It says uh, until says re- until quite recently, those of us fighting this war felt badly outnumbered and much put on and very lonely. The Wisconsin, Alabama results show that the tide is turning. It says to which, to which I for one say hallelujah and knowing as I do some of the commenters belong below this blog, I suspect it shan't be, I shan't be alone, he says. But also, so, so there was, uh, Wisconsin and Alabama and also another one, it's from another website. Uh, Oklahoma House passes bill to ban UN agenda 21. That's good news. Uh, Missouri legislator bans UN agenda 21. And I've got a uh, state ban on U Agenda 21 clears Arizona State as well. So it's pretty good that it's, it's catching on. And folk mustn't slacken up with all their crises that come along. They've got to keep hammering at it state by state because this is the big one. As to end up controlling the, the, the way that the children are brought up and how they think about energy conservation. All that kind of stuff is to do with bringing austerity, forced austerity and training us all, the whole population, into a new way of living, of just giving, 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 etc., and having no extra spending money. It's all taken for green causes and taxes and fees and so on. Very, very important. And no private property, remember. Uh, Agenda 21 says that in the new communitarian uh, uh, cities that will will be living and so on. It says everything will be rented to the public. No private property. And no one will own a car for private use. there will be essential vehicles only. So I hope you realize how important this is. And also, another article, too, to do with how you are manipulated. Uh, last night I mentioned that we're uh, run by neuroscience today, and marketers work with them. I should get taught these techniques in behaviorism, psychology, and, and how to modify behaviour in, in your target audience, the general public. But this one here talks into, talks, talk, talks about, uh, um, the West's hidden propaganda machine. And, uh, I've mentioned before, this is in a news, a newer article about it, it says, strolling the British Library was, was brought by short by a gigantic white-bearded man pointing sternly in my direction. The iconic image of Uncle Sam, taken from a 1917 U.S. Army recruitment poster, was advertising its exhibition called Propaganda, Power and Persuasion. Very important. Propaganda, Power and Persuasion. In one corner of the picture, fragmented in pixels. The exhibition will include not only retro memorabilia, such as posters, stamps and flags, but also Facebook and Twitter. How rare I thought for any aspect of Western culture to be identified as propaganda, let alone social media, that beacon of transparency and individual empowerment. I, says, I resolved immediately to attend, and the image had done its work. Then he goes through some of the history of propaganda and so on. And he goes into the assumptions that we're free and self-determining and we make our own decisions and so on. He goes through the fact that no, everything we do is manipulated by others in ways that you don't even notice. And he goes into the fact that governments, I've mentioned this many times before, the British government has a, a department really of the change and modify behavior. That in the process right now of privatizing it now because it's so lucrative. And they've got contracts to to guide all advertising from government to change uh, uh, our behaviour, which we they, they guarantee we'll do because you won't, won't, we won't know what's really. We will think we're coming to wrong conclusions, you see. It says, now that ideology is disavowed as passé and divisive, governments are adopting subliminal forms of policy and persuasion, behavior change, the new signs of irrationality, neuroeconomics, or nudge, good nudges they call it, claims that since people often fail to act rationally in their best interest, you, know, you you just don't know what's best for you, their decisions and behavior should be guided subconsciously by rational experts. David Cameron's nudge unit is run by David Halpern. So the prime minister's not Junius Talbot, a former social psychology lecturer whose cabinet office paper called "Mindspace: Influencing Behaviour Through Public Policy," and I'll put that up tonight to the link. Advocates, advocates an approach that relies on citizens not fully realising that their behaviour is being changed. It's subliminal, you see. And you think living in a free society? It may be good for us to eat more cabbage and prioritize our pensions, but this modish wonkery is all about eroding vital distinctions between government, psychology and marketing. The government's public health responsibility deal uh, works jointly with the Nudge Unit and fast food giants. The Nudge Unit itself has become to become a profit-making business. It's in the process of it right now, according to Rory Sutherland of, of Ogilvy Change, a behavioural sciences practice that builds connections in all directions between social sciences, business, and policy making. This enterprise is bigger than the internet but no longer appealed to us thinking citizens were simply flawed units to be prompted into spending more and costing the state less. The propaganda lies not only in the political corporate manipulation of the public, but also, most insidiously, in the way that it's cloaked in the language of ideology-free empiricism and the semblance of autonomy, the idea that people are being nudged to make better decisions for themselves. Your betters know how it should be, and, and they'll nudge you into doing it. Behaviour Modification Let's take the second revolution in social media Through the trade literature of the PR and online advertising industries Is to be hit by a tidal wave of guff about authenticity, engagement and two-way conversations In the era of participatory public relations The story goes that people have defeated the corporation The objective now is to make your customers a partner in the selling process This is pseudo-egalitarian code for the voluntary circulation of Facebook ads The notion that propaganda is always a state-run, top-down affair provides a cloak for our complicity. Social media's veneer of openness and fewer, and people power amplifies Western propaganda's habit of masquerading as its opposite. So under the guise of inclusiveness and all the rest of it, you'll be sucked into it, thinking you're in charge. But of course, it's their way of manipulating you to behave the way and change the way that they say you should. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back carrying through the matrix talking about behaviour modification. Uh, from experts within they're employed by governments and the US has their own department too that works heavily uh, and, and uh, altering the behavior of those within the US as well and giving your opinions. But tonight i also put up the one from Britain, uh, the the group there, and it's out from the Cabinet Office from the British Government. It's called Mindspace. Mindspace is the company name that uh, they're using right now for for the group that uh, changes behaviour in public policy. And right off the bat they've got a little drawing there, one of these little graph drawings where things connected to affect your moods, priming you. To, to accept a new way of, of uh, thinking about something or, making, or, or believing in something. Salience, incentives, habit, ego, work on your ego, your norms. Then they give you default positions, or things that, that don't want. That, in other words, the, the, the things that are PC, and you have a different opinion about them. They'll change your mind and then give you a default position. So whenever it comes into your mind what you used to think about something, you, you go to a default position and you'll feel uneasy. That's what happens. It triggers that and, and so on. So I'll put this one up tonight and it's as to expand even bigger as the company goes completely private but still works with a government contract. Quite something, eh? And tonight too, I want to put up an article I want to up another PDF tonight too and as for the u s it 's a joint non lethal weapons directorate uh, a non lethal weaponry uh, reference book that was put out on the different things that they have in store that they admit to because this is unclassified, remember. But uh, it's bad enough when you look at all this stuff here uh, that they that they have. It's just quite astonishing, actually. It's quite a long PDF, but uh, this is what they're going to be turning loose on the public. If the economy goes down too much, and you know, there's riots or whatever, or they, they start uh, doing their bank haircuts, bailing ins as they like to call them, and folk aren't too happy about it, you know, we see a lot of that stuff getting used then. Canada's moving ahead on the bank contingent capital plan sounds not bad because most folks say what does that mean bank contingent capital plan that's uh, making sure that uh, they can bail themselves in by d- robbing the depositors and that's that's from the Rock Hill Herald online I'll put that up tonight to that link for those who want to see it because it's really rampaging ahead it's definitely coming folks And European Air Force seeks a common weaponized UAS, it says. Some European countries may consider an uh, Israeli-made unmanned air system as a platform for a black program to create a European medium-altitude-long-endurance-armed altitude altitude UAS. It's an assessment of European sources familiar with advanced Israeli-made UAS. According to Aviation Week, frustrated by apparent U.S. ambivalence in granting authority to integrate weapons onto its Reaper aircraft, the Italian Air Force is looking at possible alternatives, including a yet-to-be-announced black program to create a European medium-altitude long-endurance armed UAV drone. Basically, Several European Air Forces have long planned to arm their UAS, but none of the NATO nations has so far reached the goal. This uh while well, the Italian aircraft manufacturer Alinea, or Macchi, is already developing mail drone Sky, as uh, the name of the model. Italy decided to purchase the General Atomics. So it goes through all the different names of these things, but so they're actually saying that there's really one will probably be the one of choice. And I hear the music coming in, and it's been a fast week indeed. And last night, too, it was down in the freezing mark again. There was frost all over the place. At this time of the year, eh? It's global warming, you know. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, is good night to me, your God or your gods goal with you.